My name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. So today we are in part two of our series called Bible Study, How to Read the Bible. We're doing this series diving into scripture. What does it mean? What's its purpose? How do we read it? How do we understand it? Because when you open the Bible, sometimes it feels a little overwhelming or a little confusing. And so we want to break that down and make that easier to dive into. Now, if you're just joining us for this series and you haven't seen part one, I want to encourage you that at some point this week to go back and catch the video on demand or the podcast of part one, because in part one, we really dove into what the Bible is how it's these 66 books in total, these 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament, and how together they have a cohesive purpose. And that purpose is not to be a rule book or a list of do's and don'ts, but in fact the Bible has a purpose of pointing us towards God and leading us into wisdom. And so last week we talked about how as the whole Bible reveals God to us, it shows us that God desires a loving relationship with everyone and is constantly working towards that goal. And furthermore, wisdom is the ability to discern and decide between what is right and wrong and then acting upon it. And so if you want to know more about those two things and that purpose of scripture, I want to encourage you to go back sometime and catch part one of this series. And so for today, we're going to do something that's going to feel a little academic. In fact, we're going to be diving into understanding genre and context and history and how do we understand this book, this collection of books that was written so long ago and how it's still relevant for today. And so I'm going to move pretty quickly, and there are lots of places in this where I would love to go on rabbit trails and tangents, but I'm going to try to keep us focused and a little narrow on our perspective today, because there's some really awesome things that I hope that we learn, and that this helps ignite our love of Scripture and reading God's Word. And so one of the things I want to begin with is just talking about the simple fact, and something we already know, is that our Bibles are translations. That means these aren't in the original languages. When we read them, we read them in English so that we can see and be able to understand it for today's world. But our Bibles were originally written in Hebrew and Greek. And teams of scholars and translators put countless hours and time and effort into translating Scripture into what we have today. And when it comes to Bible translations, there's really two main ways that the Bible gets translated into English. The first is what's called a word-for-word, and the second is a phrase-for-phrase. And in a word-for-word translation, the scholars and the translators focus on making sure that each and every word is the most accurate English word for the original Hebrew and Greek word, and they kind of go through sentences in little chunks word by word to to make sure that we're staying as true and faithful to the original words as possible. And the second type is a phrase for phrase, which means they take the same careful approach, but they focus on bigger chunks of scripture at a time. They'll focus on whole sentences and whole paragraphs and really focus on how do we convey what that original author meant and what the scriptures mean and carry that forward to today. Now, each of them have their advantages, and maybe if you don't have a Bible or you've been wondering when you look at a Bible, well, which translation should I read? 
I always recommend phrase-for-phrase translations first. They tend to be a little easier to read, to dive into at the beginning, and you'll notice that the translation that I use most of the time is the New Living Translation, or the NLT. And it's a really good, accessible translation that is in English that we can understand without needing a dictionary open at the same time. And if you don't have a Bible, you can contact us and we would love to get you one. Or you can also read your Bible through an app. There's lots of great Bible apps. The YouVersion Bible app is a great one that I use regularly. And these apps let you read and find things really easy if a paper Bible seems intimidating of not knowing where to start. And so we're going to be diving in today into this piece of history and context and genre. But when we talk about the history of the Bible, one of the questions we often come up with is we want to ask, well, who wrote the Bible? Who actually created the Bible and how did it get to where we have it now? And it might seem simple now that we know that there's 66 books, that the Bible is not one book, it's multiple books together is that there was no single author of Scripture. In fact, all the books of the Bible tell us about God through the lenses of different authors spanning different centuries, different cultures, and different languages. That means that when we read different books of the Bible, we're reading the words that were put down and preserved for future generations by different people, and they have all kinds of different contexts happening at the same time. But We also talk about how the Bible and how Scripture is God's Word, because God is actively involved in telling what He has done for us and preserving His story for future generations. God is active in the writing of Scripture, even though it was humans who were the ones that actually put quill to parchment and wrote these words down. In fact, this is something that the Bible itself addresses later on in two of the letters. In fact, the letter that Peter wrote, and he was one of Jesus' disciples, and later on, after Jesus' death and resurrection, when Peter had his ministry of traveling and planting churches and teaching, he wrote two letters that were distributed widely. In one of them, he included this passage. He says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. And so Peter is reminding the churches that when they look at Scripture, that God was involved and engaged, that he inspired the authors as they wrote. God was active in the writing of Scripture. And then Paul, the apostle who also lived after Jesus, he would have been likely a young boy or a teenager during the time when Jesus was alive, and then Paul was active after he had a miraculous conversion. Paul wrote this to Timothy, who was his protege, who was leading churches and following in Paul's footsteps. And Paul said that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. That's where we should realize, oh, that's talking about making us learn wisdom to see the difference between right and wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And so Paul is, again, reminding Timothy, saying that Scripture is inspired by God, that God is active in its authorship. And so when we read the Bible, we are reading a blending of God's inspiration 
and the culture, the background, the history, and even the personality of the human authors who physically wrote the manuscripts. There's this melding of the two happening in the writing of the books that became our Bible. Now, when we look at the Bible, and as we recognize this, we need to also realize that every book in the Bible has an original audience that it was intended to be read by. Now, for some books of the Bible, that's easy to see, especially for Paul's letters, because each of them is named by who the recipient was. So, the letter of Romans was written to the church in Rome. But many of the other books of the Bible are named by who the author was, and so then we sometimes have to do a little digging, a little bit of work, to see who was the original audience. When they put that quill to paper, when they wrote that manuscript, and when they made copies of it to be distributed, and, or gave it to a scribe to be, that it was dictated to, every book of the Bible has that audience that it was meant for. And so for us today, living in 2020, we need to realize that all the books of the Bible were not written to us, but they were written for our benefit. We benefit from being able to read what was written, to be able to see how God was active and engaged and involved with the authorship of his words so that we would have it today. We benefit from having the Bible, but we were not the original audience that the author had in mind. Now, when we look at the Bible, the Bible has all kinds of different books in it. In fact, the Bible contains historical accounts, books of poetry, books of wisdom, prophecy, gospels, public letters, private letters, and even apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature just means that it is a writing that contains knowledge that could not be known by any other way than God directly giving that wisdom to someone. Apocalyptic literature often deals with the future and it's steeped in metaphor and it's steeped in images that we read and we look at and we just scratch our heads and say, what could that possibly mean? Because it hasn't happened yet. But each of these genres, when we read a book of the Bible, we have to ask, what genre of book am I reading? Am I reading history? Am I reading poetry? Am I reading a gospel? Am I reading a letter? Because we already know that when we're reading any other form of literature, that different genres of literature are read differently and have different purposes. If you pick up a fiction novel, you know it's going to have a storyline and characters, and it's going to lead you on a journey of these characters overcoming some form of conflict. Or if you pick up a book of poems, you know that it's going to lead you into a journey of diving into emotions and thinking about things in ways you haven't before because poetry has a way of accessing our minds and teaching us things in ways that other forms of literature can't. And in the same way, if you pick up a textbook, but you expect it to have characters and a story, you're going to be disappointed. Or if you think you're picking up a book of poems, but you actually picked up a cookbook, you're going to think this is some really weird poetry. See, we already know when we pick up a book that we are expecting something because of the genre that it has. And the Bible is the same way. There are different genres of books contained in the Bible. For example, there are historical books that tell the narrative of what God has done and how the people responded. 
And often they tell the stories of how people got things wrong at the same point and how God responded to the people making mistakes. And then there's the poetic books that often explore our human emotions and wisdom in our relationship with God. And so whenever we read the Bible, one of the things that we need to look at and one of the clues to look for is say, what type of book is this that I'm reading right now? And once we know the genre that it is, then there's this really big question and this way that I like to phrase it and put it is that when we read the Bible, we have to mind the gap. And when I say we have to mind the gap, we have to be aware that there is a big gap between when Scripture was written and the time period that it is talking about and the gap for thousands of years until where we are today in 2020. There is a giant contextual gap between the authors and us reading it today. In fact, the authors of Scripture often left out commonly known details because they knew their original audience would have known those things already. And so there's all kinds of places where the authors don't explain what's going on because they know their audience should know what they mean when they refer to this place or this name. In fact, one of the gaps in Scripture that we have is the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we sometimes call that, and I've even called it this myself, the 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And what's interesting is in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the story of Jesus, all of a sudden we have Jesus going to synagogues and he gets called a rabbi and there's this group called the Pharisees. And there's all these things that appear in the New Testament that didn't exist in the Old Testament. And what really happened is during that gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's this time period called the Second Temple period. And there was a lot happening in the world. There was a lot happening in Judaism. And there is a gap that the writers of the New Testament were so entrenched in and so ingrained in, they just assumed that everyone would know what they meant when they said, on the Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. They just knew their readers would understand that. But us living today, we have to mind that gap to say, well, what's going on? How do we learn about their time period so that we can understand what they were teaching and then carry that back over the gap to today and how do we live our lives? And so we have to mind that gap. And so how do we bridge that contextual gap? How do we get from where they were to where we are today? And there's a series of questions that can help us with this. And these are kind of the questions, and you don't have to write these down. They'll come pretty common as you spend time reading Scripture. But we often start with saying, well, who wrote this passage? When was it written? What was happening at the time? Who was it written to? And how was this passage understood by the original audience? These are all questions that will help lead us to respect that gap and understand what's going on. And so... Let's just kind of start with some of these and work our way through them together. So how do we find the context of a passage? How do we find the answers to that list of questions? And one of the ways that we can find the context is to start by looking at the beginning of the book. In fact, many books of the Bible begin with an introduction. They'll begin with a little 
statement or something that says this is what's going on. And in fact, two of those examples are found, one of the examples is found in Micah, then we're going to go to a second one. And Micah is one of the Old Testament prophets. And it says this, The Lord gave this message to Micah of Morsheth during the years when Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were the kings of Judah. The visions he saw concerned both Samaria and Jerusalem. And so immediately we know who wrote this, where are they from, the time period we know because these were the three kings that were alive during the time of his ministry, and the visions we know his, his intended audience. They were people that lived in both Samaria and Jerusalem. And that's right in the first verse of that book. And if we go to a New Testament example, we go to one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel begins with this. It says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And so Luke begins his gospel this way, of saying, that Luke himself was not an eyewitness, but he devoted time to talking to the eyewitnesses, of compiling their stories, and knowing that if he wrote anything or he fabricated anything, it would just be thrown out. And he wrote this for a specific person, for this man named Theophilus, so that he could know the truth of what he had been taught. And so sometimes at the beginning of a book of the Bible, it will give us some of those contextual clues to know how to understand it. Now, the other option, if sometimes the book of the Bible doesn't include that, is you can sometimes read the introduction or you can read what's called a study Bible. And so my Bible isn't a study Bible, but at the very beginning of each book of the Bible, it has a little bit. And so, for example, the book of Jeremiah starts by saying the author was Jeremiah or this was likely compiled by his followers. Jeremiah himself may not have been the one but a group of his followers, his disciples, were likely the ones to write this down. It says the date written was during Jeremiah's ministry, which we've narrowed down to between 627 and 586 BC. And then it has a summary of just a few sentences to give us an introductory picture of what we're going to read if we're reading through the book of Jeremiah. And you can also get what's called a study Bible. And a study Bible is a Bible that just has extra notes like this at the beginning of each book. And there'll often be kind of like pauses or there'll be maps and there'll be times where it explains what's going on in the passages on that very page. So you don't have to do what I did and go and get a degree in theology and spend a whole bunch of money on textbooks because degrees aren't for everyone. So you can gain access to all of that information very easily. And thirdly, one of the things we can do to help us find the context of a passage of Scripture is to read longer portions of the Bible, to read more than just a few verses in the middle of a book of the Bible, to instead read a larger chunk of the passage. And I want to give an example of this, of when if we just read one verse or a few verses, we can really be led to a different conclusion than what the whole passage comes to. And for this, we're going to go to an example of a verse that likely you've heard before. 
that is Philippians 4, verse 13. It says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, one of the places you might see this passage of Scripture is some athletes write this on their shoes or on their jerseys, or in fact, this is probably one of the most tattooed Bible verses, or maybe it's put on a, on a pretty sign because it's a, it's a reminder. And when you, I was reading an article that was an interview with an athlete who is known for writing this passage on his shoes. I'm not going to name the athlete, but he says that this reminds him he can achieve whatever he sets his mind to, and it's an inspiration to him. But if we go back just a few verses, we might realize that Paul is actually talking about something else than achieving whatever your goals are. Because if we go back just two verses, Paul says this to the Philippian church. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. That right away, when he says, I have learned to be content, should make us realize this isn't about personal achievement. He's talking about contentment, about being happy with whatever we have in our situation. And then he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And in fact, Paul wrote this during a time when he was imprisoned. He was in a Roman prison on his way to Rome, and he's writing this letter to encourage the Philippian church of saying, you don't have to worry about me. I've learned to be content with whatever situation I'm in, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, Paul is talking about being able to do the mission that God has given him in whatever situation he's in. This isn't really a passage about personal achievement. This is a passage about enduring through every circumstance so that we can do what God has called us to do, to reveal him to the world, to show love to one another, and for, to make God's kingdom become into a reality here on this earth so that people will know how deeply God loves them. That's a very different passage and a different meaning when we take this bigger approach to it. Now, one of the critical questions to ask when we read a passage of scripture is this question that I often ask almost every time that I read any passage of scripture. I'm asking, is this passage of scripture descriptive or prescriptive? And what I mean by that is, is this passage of scripture describing an event that happened or is it prescribing, is it giving us an instruction for how we're to live and how to understand our lives? Is this about describing or is this prescribing? Is this telling us what happened or is this giving us instructions of how we can follow Jesus? And so that question really can sometimes put these passages into clarity for us of saying, is this just what happened or is this an instruction? So how do we put all this together? I've moved really quickly through these different pieces of genre and context and, and where we can find some of the history around each of the books of the Bible, but I want to end by saying, how do we do this for a difficult passage? How do we put our knowledge of genre, context, and history, and how do we discover that about these passages in the Bible, 
that sometimes make us cringe and make us want to jump over the verse and maybe pretend it's not there or be like, man, can't we just skip over that one when we're in our reading plan? Or can't Brian just ignore that passage and not preach on it? But no, we're going to dive in to a really difficult passage and kind of put all this together as an example of how this helps unlock scripture and teach us things we may have missed otherwise. And so for this passage of scripture, I'm going to go to 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. And this is a passage of scripture that has been often used to put people in their, in their place, so to speak. This has been a passage that's been used to silence people, to say, no, you shouldn't speak up, and no, you shouldn't teach, or you shouldn't step up and say what you said. Because here's what this passage says. 1 Timothy 2, 11-12 says, Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. Now, before you start typing angry comments or shut off this video and say, that's it, I'm out of here, stick with me. Because as we dive into these contextual questions, suddenly this verse is going to come to light in a very different way. So, one of the first things we've got to say is, well, who wrote this? And we know that this is one of Paul's letters, and in fact, it was written to Timothy, his protege. And if we go to the beginning of the letter, this is how 1 Timothy starts. It says, I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Okay, this gives us a hint. Paul says, I am writing to Timothy. He is writing a private letter. Now, he also is telling Timothy, I need you to stay in Ephesus, and there is a task for you to do. So, Timothy was the bishop of several churches in the region of Ephesus. He was tasked with leading groups of churches. And Paul is writing to help Timothy deal with problems in that church. In fact, the structure of how Timothy was leading those churches was necessary because the early church was figuring things out and there was these issues happening. And so back to the passage, it says, Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. Now, there is something deeply controversial in this passage. And in fact, it's actually the first three words. Women should learn is in fact the most controversial part of Paul's instructions to Timothy. Because in the first century, women were not educated in any area of society. Women were not viewed as being worthy of being educated. And we know now that that's not true. In fact, the church was the very first place where women were ever permitted to learn. So this first part where Paul says women should learn, that's actually the most controversial part. And in fact, this next part, it says women should learn quietly and submissively. Now, I'm going to cheat. In fact, I'm going to use some commentaries, and I'm going to dive into what other people have written about the Greek language. Now, often we don't need to dive into the Greek and Hebrew original languages to get the understanding of a word, but this is one of those places where it's necessary. And I bought a lot of commentaries, and so I kind of feel like I should use them sometimes, so I'm going to use them here. This Greek word that gets translated to submissively doesn't carry the same connotation that the word submissive 
carries now because the word submissive now means that there is a power differential. It means there are those with power over and those with a lack of power who are held underneath the authority of others. That is how this word is read today. But the Greek word that Paul used in this letter does not mean that. The Greek word that Paul used simply means to not be in a state of active rebellion. And so this passage actually should read, women should learn quietly and without rebellion. It's saying they should learn and not be antagonistic to their teacher. You know, that's true for everyone. We should not be antagonistic to our teachers or we're not going to be able to learn. And in fact, there's something else happening in the Greek that is a grammar piece that I don't understand why it's not carried over into the English. And that is the fact that when Paul wrote this instruction to Timothy, he uses a definite singular article. In verses 11 and 12, he uses the woman. He is talking about a specific unnamed woman who is causing issues in the church. But in verses 9 and 10 earlier, when Paul gives instructions for how women should behave in worship, he is using a plural, talking about everyone, of saying they should be able to worship, they should be able to engage with the church. And so what that means is Paul is talking about a specific person, but he doesn't name her because he doesn't want to shame her. He wants her to be able to turn around her actions. So Paul's message to Timothy, when we understand, okay, first of all, this was a private letter. It really wasn't meant to be read to the whole church. I don't think Paul intended that we would be reading this today, but we know that the Holy Spirit guided Paul, and there is so much that we can learn from it today. But in that first century moment, Paul was writing privately to Timothy, and he said this, The woman should learn quietly and without rebellion. I do not let the woman, talking about one individual woman, teach men or have authority over them. Let her listen quietly. Suddenly, that verse means something very different, doesn't it? See, when we look at this, and when we dive into the context, and I'll admit, I, I kind of cheated a little. I went into the Greek and went into what scholars have been writing about this passage for quite a while and dive into that, but it suddenly makes this passage reveal something to us differently. Now, we got one more question to ask. We know how Timothy would have understood this in the first century. Now we have to ask, is this prescriptive or is this descriptive? And here's how it, that shakes out. Paul's guidance is prescriptive for Timothy, but it is descriptive for the church today. Paul is telling Timothy, here's what to do. But for us reading this passage today, we need to read that as saying, well, this is describing what happened then. And we can learn things from it, though, of course we can. We can learn Paul chose not to name her because he wanted her to have an opportunity to repent of what she had done wrong, to be able to learn, and likely she had the potential of being an effective teacher and preacher of the gospel. This was about her just needing to take a step back to be educated and learn more about who God is so that she could use her spiritual gifts well. See, when we dive into the history and context of Scripture, the Holy Spirit reveals things to us we may never have noticed before. And that difficult passage is just one example that we could do. And so I hope what I've been able to show in this is that when we read Scripture, 
There is so much more to it than just a surface level reading. And we can get a ton out of the Bible just from reading the words on the page. But when we dive into it, we create these opportunities for the Holy Spirit to illuminate Scripture. That means to shine light on things in Scripture we never would have seen before and reveal those things to us. And that's what's going to lead into next week. How does God speak through the Bible? We talk about the Bible being the living Word of God. So how does God speak through the Bible? How does God speak to us today through Scripture? So, where do we go from here? This has been kind of a dense and very packed message, and I want to encourage you, maybe you want to go back and rewind and rewatch parts of it, or dive into it, or maybe you want to have a conversation about it, and that's what that online Connect card is for. But if you're still wondering, okay, so what do I do? Where do I start? Where do I start when I read the Bible? I want to repeat what I said last week. Start with a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but usually I recommend start with Mark and John. They are a really succinct understanding of who Jesus is. And then Philippians, the letter we went to, and we've already explained a couple verses in it, it is a letter of encouragement that Paul wrote to a church, but there's also some really deep theological pieces in it. And another interesting place to start is the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church. How did the disciples figure things out as the Holy Spirit was guiding them and leading them to plant the church? And so, Here's what I want to ask you to do whenever you read scripture, to take three steps. Read, ask, and pray. And so the two questions I gave you last week were, how does this reveal God, and how does this teach wisdom? And for today, I want to add this question, what's the history and the context surrounding this passage? What's going on in this chunk of scripture that can help us understand more about what these words are. How is the Holy Spirit going to dive in and illuminate that as we go? And so I want to thank you for sticking with me through this, for sticking through this talk about genre and history and context. And let me just pray for us before we wrap things up. God, thank you so much that your word is alive, that your word has been preserved for us, that throughout the millennium that your word has been preserved and dived into, understood, and we are at this advantaged point of having so many thousands of years of scholarship and study at our fingertips to dive into. And so God, I pray that as we read scripture this week, that you would help us to see these historical and contextual parts that reveal who you are to us in this time. And so God, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for how you're going to reveal yourself through your word. And I just pray that we would lean into scripture with open eyes and open hearts to see you in it. In your name we pray, amen. So folks, next week we're going to bring this series to a close by talking about how does God speak through the Bible. And so I hope you'll plan to be here and join us online, catch it on demand, or listen to the podcast to dive into this important conversation together. And so I hope you have a great day. Happy Father's Day and see you online next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca 
And you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.